Chief Justice. Mr. Chief Justice, and may it please the court. Our opinion next turns to the problem of what the judicial role should be. Well, they just told me to sign here and here, and why well, I signed, and I guess I signed for my deportation. This is Life of the Law. I'm Nancy Mullane. It's hard to believe it's been 20 years since Congress has been able to come together to pass comprehensive immigration reform. So in 2012, President Obama took matters into his own hands. His administration signed a memo granting undocumented immigrants who came to the U.S. as children a chance to defer deportation. It's called Deferred Action for Childhood Arrivals, or DACA for short. And now that we're in an election year, the men and women running for president say they have a better way to fix our immigration system. Let me tell you that I have seen firsthand the impact of our broken immigration system. Many of these gang members are illegal immigrants. They're rough dudes. They will be out of here so freaking fast. People who work hard, who love this country, who pay taxes to it. DACA is going to end. And uh, the ideal way for it to end is that it's replaced by a reform system that, that creates an alternative. But if it doesn't, it will end. It cannot be the permanent policy of the United States. But in the meantime, over 11 million men, women, and children live and work in the U.S. without documentation. That means one in every 30 people living in the United States is undocumented. DACA was created to provide a temporary legal right to work for children who came to the U.S. without documentation and are now living here as adults. It's not permanent, and it doesn't provide a path to citizenship. But since it was presented in 2012, a million and a half people have applied for DACA status. But the stakes are high. It's discretionary. That means simply coming forward to apply for DACA can mean deportation. And as the law currently stands, getting deported means you lose any chance to apply for DACA in the future. Life of the Law's Jonathan Hirsch has our story. It was 2013. Luis Perez Morales was 19. He'd been living in the U.S. without documents since he was eight. And now a new government policy called DACA meant he could apply to live and work here legally. He started to get an application together, and his mom helped him set up an appointment with an attorney. Then, a few weeks later, Luis was driving around Texas's hill country with some friends. The low brush and wide horizons of South Texas rushed past the windows. Well, me and two friends went to San Antonio just to cruise around for a bit. And then from there, I fell asleep. And when my friend said she took a wrong turn, that I don't, I don't know, you know? And then from there, when I woke up, I saw the sirens on the back. While Luis was asleep in the back seat, local authorities stopped the car. Well, I asked my, my friend that was driving, I asked her if, what, what, what had happened. And she, she said that she didn't know that she just got pulled over. The driver and the other passenger both had Texas state IDs, but Luis didn't. All he had was an ID from the community college where he was taking classes. He didn't have a social security number either. By law, Luis wasn't obligated to give the police a social security number or to admit he didn't have one, but he didn't know that. 
a female officer approached the car. Yeah, Sheriff came to the car. She said that my friend got pulled over for speeding. She asked everybody for Social Security. And well, my friends gave gave the sheriff the IDs. I gave the sheriff my ID too. But uh, I told her that I didn't have a social. At the time, I wasn't really thinking of anything until the uh, Border Patrol came. <laughs> then that's when I got uh, nervous. While Luis slept, his friends had driven into borderland territory, less than 50 miles from the U.S.-Mexico border. The local sheriff told Luis and his friends to wait until Customs and Border Patrol officers could arrive. They told us to step out of the car. Well, we got out the car, and they made us stand in front of this van. <clears throat> this van. And then they were asking a lot of questions that what we were doing here and stuff like that, you know. Well, I told um, we all told the Border Patrol. We told them that we were just cruising around. And from there, they put us in all in handcuffs. Luis was taken into custody and transferred to a border patrol station. From the movies, he knew that if you're arrested, you get a phone call. He says he asked the border patrol agents if he could call his mother, Rosa. Oh, I asked them for a phone call. They said, not until I fill out those papers. Luis couldn't read the papers he'd been given because he's legally blind. He says that he asked if an agent would read the papers aloud, but that no one did. A report his attorney later obtained indicates that Luis was informed of his rights. It includes Luis's date of birth, country of origin, and the exact location and nature of all six of his tattoos. But nowhere on the report does it indicate that any official documentation was read aloud to him. Then Luis was given another form. Well, they just told me to sign here and here. Well, I signed. I guess I signed for my deportation. The form given to him by Border Patrol agents said he'd do what's called a voluntary return. Without knowing it, Luis had signed a piece of paper that said he would go back to Mexico. Later that day, he was deported. Elora Mukherjee is director of the Immigrants' Rights Clinic at Columbia University. Mukherjee says undocumented immigrants are often asked to sign voluntary deportation documents. Unfortunately, that's not an uncommon experience. I hear about that very experience in case after case after case. And most of the time, she says, they don't realize that by signing such a form, they are waiving their rights to stay in the U.S. America should be a land that welcomes refugees, welcomes immigrants. We're a country built on immigrants, and yet at this moment in history, our country's policies are particularly punitive. Luis's parents came to the U.S. for the reasons most people come here. Better paying jobs, more opportunity, safety. Rosa Morales is Luis's mother. She was the person who made an appointment for Luis to start the process of applying for DACA a few weeks before he was detained. When Luis was a baby, back in Mexico, Rosa was the first person who noticed that her son's left eye had started to look milky, opalescent. At first, doctors weren't sure whether he would be able to see at all. He was born with a vision problem. It's related to a bacteria that I had during the pregnancy. We took him to the ophthalmologist. We've tried to do everything possible so he could see. 
Two surgeries were performed on Luis in Mexico City, but the doctors were unable to save his left eye. After the operation, the eye started getting smaller and smaller. I went to the doctor and asked why it was getting smaller and smaller. They said that the bacteria had killed all his nerves. They tried to do everything possible to save it, but they couldn't. Knowing that they couldn't get the care Luis would need in their village, Rosa says she and her husband decided to move their family across the border. Luis's dad crossed first, then Rosa. And in 2001, Luis crossed the border to join his family in the U.S. He was eight. When I got here, I enrolled into elementary school. I didn't like it at first. (laughs) I don't know, I just felt like going back to Mexico. At first, I didn't want to be here. I didn't want to be brought over here. But then I I got used to it, and I started liking everything about being here, you know. Luis made friends. By his estimation, he was treated well by other classmates. And despite the vision problems, he learned English and completed his freshman year of high school. But learning was still challenging for Luis, and he started skipping classes. Before finishing his sophomore year, he dropped out and got a job working in construction. He says he was content with his life in the U.S. He had a girlfriend for a while, and together they have a son, Alexander. Luis definitely didn't want to go back to Mexico. Well, Mexico, it's, it's, it's a pretty place, you know, but it's just not for me. I, I prefer being here, you know, where I'm raised, where I was raised. I guess Mexico now is, to me, that a place that I would just like to visit, um, but I wouldn't go back to live over there. In 2001, a year before Luis first crossed the border as a kid, Congress introduced a bill called the DREAM Act. If passed, the bill would provide a path to lawful residency for immigrants who arrived in the U.S. as kids because of decisions made by their parents or other relatives. Many versions of the DREAM Act have been introduced in the Senate and Congress, and all of them have failed. Then, in June of 2012, the Obama administration wrote a memo instructing all branches of the DHS to exercise, quote, prosecutorial discretion in cases where young people are brought to the U.S. as children, a policy that is called Deferred Action for Childhood Arrivals, DACA for short. Musafar Chishti is the director of the Migration Policy Institute's New York City office at New York University. He explained to me exactly what DACA is supposed to do. Uh, it says anyone who, was, who entered the country before they were 16 and now are less than 31 years of age and they have either gone to high school or are GD pro, or are pursuing college or military service, that they are eligible to apply for the DACA program. You are allowed to stay in the country without fear of removal. That means your potential removal is suspended. It's not say that we'll never remove you, but we sort of going to put you, to, to explain it the best, we're going to put you in the back of the line. Basically, Chishti says that if someone came with their parents, there's no way they could have intended to break the law, that they were just doing what their parents told them to do. But Chishti also points out that DACA is by no means legislation itself, nor is it a legal status. It's a postponement of your deportation, and it's entirely at the discretion of immigration enforcement agents. 
which means that one enforcement agent could look at your case and see you as DACA eligible, and another might not. DACA grants important benefits. DACA recipients can get a social security number. They can apply for a work permit. They can get jobs previously available only to lawful permanent residents, jobs that pay more, and often give workers protection not available for under-the-table employment. So when Luis found out he might be eligible for DACA, this is back before his friend's car was stopped by the police, he knew he wanted to apply. To meet all the requirements, he had to finish high school or the equivalent, so he'd enrolled in a GED program. And his mother Rosa had set up an appointment with an attorney named Chito Vela to start the paperwork. The thing is, and this is pretty confusing, so bear with me, by law, a person can be eligible for DACA and still get deported. And if that person does get deported, they'll no longer be considered eligible for DACA. And when Luis was deported, he hadn't yet submitted his DACA paperwork. So Chito Vela took up that case too. Uh, Luis's case is a kind of case that makes me want to stop practicing immigration law. Chito is tall and slight, with bushy salt and pepper sideburns. He wears Wrangler jeans, cowboy boots, and a paisley tie. He runs a private law practice in Austin that focuses on immigration cases. When we first meet, he says that he has two weeks to figure out how to keep Luis in the country. After that, he'll either have to go back to Mexico, or if he stays in the U.S., face deportation again. I asked Chito what he thinks happened that night, when Luis and his friends were stopped by the police. So, it's still not completely clear what happened. What should have happened was that the Border Patrol agents should have immediately recognized that Luis was uh, in all likelihood eligible for the for DACA and should have released him and allowed him to apply for DACA. In, in, in kind of a, a, a second-hand uh, situation, the, if they took him into custody, once he was in custody, they should have evaluated him for the requirements, for the, the, for the DACA requirements, and could have even granted him DACA while he was in custody. That, that is within their powers, within um, the ICE, U.S. ICE's powers. That didn't happen. Instead, after his arrest, Luis was deported to Mexico. A couple of weeks later, he crossed the border back into the U.S. legally, in Laredo, Texas. At the border, Luis told the authorities from Immigration and Customs Enforcement, ICE, that he was seeking asylum because he didn't feel safe or at home in Mexico. From there, he was detained by ICE at the South Texas Detention Center for a month. He was let out on bond while his asylum case was reviewed. The asylum request was denied. Being deported had disqualified him for DACA, but he applied anyway. Chito, his attorney, said that he had hoped the circumstances of Luis's deportation would warrant an exception. The DACA application was denied. Chito then requested what is called a stay of removal to allow for an appeal. But all subsequent appeals to ICE regarding Luis's case have been denied. In the two and a half years since Luis was first detained and deported, immigration policy has changed. The Obama administration extended the deferral period from two to three years and decided that parents of lawful permanent residents will be protected from deportation. Even though he has a son who was born here, 
the decision came too late to help Luis. When I met Luis, he was living a quiet life, largely under the radar. He'd been working in construction, but he lost the job when a friend who helped him get it was arrested. So he'd started to work the graveyard shift cleaning corporate offices. Hello? Luis! Huh? How you doing? I'm good. All right, uh, we're gonna head over to your house right now, all right? Uh, sure. What's, uh, what's your address again? Luis's apartment is just a few miles from the quiet suburb where his attorney, Chito, lives. But the two places look very different. Where Chito's neighborhood is filled with single-family homes, with lawns and trees in each yard, the area Luis lives in is made up of old apartment complexes and vacant lots. Luis opens the door to the apartment he shares with his two brothers, his mother, and his father. He's wearing a black shirt, black pants, and black shoes. We go upstairs to his bedroom, where his brother Chris is playing Call of Duty. During the week, Luis's two-year-old son Alexander lives with his mother. On the weekends, he shares Luis's small bedroom. Hey, what what about the tattoos, though? You were going to show me the rest oh, of the, yeah. the tattoos? Yeah, I got it. Oh, it's going to be hard. Well, I got this one. When we sit down, he shows me the tattoos on his hands. He has the name of an ex-girlfriend on one hand, and his own name on the other, Luis. He's got more on his arms and shoulders, but I've made him uncomfortable by asking about the tattoos. He says that after he was deported and legally re-entered the U.S. and was in the custody of Immigration and Customs Enforcement Authority, his tattoos made officials suspicious. Because of the tattoos, officers assumed that he was part of a gang. The ICE officials thought that your tattoos might have been gang-related. Luis is soft-spoken. When he's not at work, he likes to play video games with his brothers and to spend time with his son. He says he's always been a bit of a loner and very sensitive about being legally blind. In fact, he agreed to be interviewed for this story because it's for radio, so no one will see his face. Because his attorney told him, he was running out of options. Remember, Luis has no criminal record and his entire family lives in the U.S. Luis's brothers were born here and are citizens. His son was also born here and is a citizen. And before he was deported, Luis was enrolled in a GED program and preparing to apply for DACA. Every attorney, scholar, and advocate that I spoke with considered Luis to be what the DHS refers to as a low priority for deportation. Because of Luis's disability, he was unable to read the document given to him the night he was detained. Nowhere on the report file does it indicate that the voluntary deportation forms were read aloud before he was told to sign them. Border Patrol authorities who processed Luis didn't apply the sort of discretion called for in the Obama administration's 2012 memo, meaning they didn't recognize the fact that he was DACA eligible. And because those authorities decided to deport him, Luis then became ineligible for DACA. I asked him to tell me about the night he was first detained. The night in 2013 when Border Patrol officials told him they were deporting him to Mexico, a country he hadn't seen since he was eight years old. And then from there, they took me to the room to, to the cell. To the cell, and they just, and they just said that, uh, that I was going to Mexico, and we were just they were just waiting on the bus to arrive. I told them I was scared because I didn't know, I didn't know that uh, that place. <clears throat> well. I don't know, a lot of this stuff came to my mind, stuff like that. Like what? I don't know, it's just like this feeling you get when you don't think of anything, but 
your mind goes blank, you know? Have you ever had that feeling? There's a lot of controversy over the Obama administration's decision to expand DACA. Several states have challenged the expansion in court. And on January 19th, the Supreme Court announced it's going to review Obama's executive action on immigration. The case will be argued in April and decided in late June, right in the middle of the 2016 presidential election. Meanwhile, immigration and customs enforcement officials throughout the country have been carrying out raids to deport undocumented Latino immigrants who have arrived here more recently. As for Luis Perez Morales, ICE officials agreed to review his case one last time. And they concluded that, quote, the totality of circumstances do not support the favorable exercise of prosecutorial discretion. Which means that now Luis is supposed to go home to Mexico. The problem is that as far as Luis and everyone he knows is concerned, home is the United States. For Life of the Law, I'm Jonathan Hirsch. And I'm Nancy Mullane. This episode of Life of the Law was reported, produced, and sound designed by Jonathan Hirsch, with editing by Annie Aviles. Special thanks to Joanne DeLuna for help with translation. If you like stories about the law but have gotten tripped up by the legal system, tune in to Life of the Law on iTunes. We tell stories about the law like it is. Stories about bosses on blocks, who give out hugs and slugs, attorneys with 1-800 numbers and ads on TV at 3 a.m., and lawyers negotiating ownership of mineral rights on asteroids. Take a few minutes to post your review of Life of the Law on iTunes, like us on Facebook, and follow us on Twitter. Each time we publish a new episode, we send people who have subscribed to our newsletter a behind-the-scenes look at Life of the Law that includes notes from our reporters, reviews of plays, books, and movies, with previews of upcoming episodes. You can subscribe at lifeofthelaw.org. We're a nonprofit project of the Tide Center, and we're part of the panoply network of podcasts from Slate, connecting sophisticated listeners with top publishers and thinkers, panoply.fm. You can also find Life of the Law on PRX, Public Radio Exchange. We're funded by the Open Society Foundations, the Law and Society Association, the National Science Foundation, the Proteus Fund, and by you. Visit our website, lifeofthelaw.org, and make a very much appreciated donation to help pay for the direct costs of producing our episodes. It really only takes a minute. Next on Life of the Law. And because he had a Hatchet Man tattoo, it was, it was, it was against his probation because he was affiliated with the gang now, officially. That's next on Life of the Law. I'm Nancy Mullane. Thanks for listening. <laughs>